Hello everybody and this is going to be a little bit different and uh, hopefully a very special edition of Kind of Epic Show. Um, the music uh, that you heard to begin this uh, episode was not our uh, theme song uh, which is Zombie Kids uh, by one Michael Dykus. You can find his music on SoundCloud and um, check it out because he's got entire albums out there, guys, of which uh, Zombie Kids is featured. But he's actually had a new album out for uh, close to a year now. And I highly recommend you check out um, uh, Michael Dykus' music on SoundCloud. Uh, we can also find episodes of uh, our guest podcast, the Just Japan podcast. Uh, you're about to listen to our interview or uh, my interview here with. Uh, with Kevin O'Shea from the great nation of Canada. That's not even a Canadian accent. That's like a horrible Minnesota-type deal there, so I apologize <laughs> to to the actual residents of the great nation of Canada. And I uh, just want to say thank you all for, for tuning in. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Kind of Epic Show. You can find David at David West underscore K-O-E-S for Kind of Epic Show. You can find myself at Gabriel Canada, Gabriel with an A rather than an E, and uh, you can find uh, you can find Andrew Crowley at Jumpin' Jack Flask. He is in fact a gas, gas, gas guy, so you'll you'll want to check him out. Um, you can find Kevin O'Shea at the Just Japan Podcasts uh, website, which is Busan Kevin. That's B U S A N Kevin. And uh, that's his blog, where you can find articles uh, such as the one that was recently featured on Tofugu uh, about uh, five infuriating things uh, that exist in Japan. <laughs> it's things like meetings. Uh, it's just, nobody really likes those here. Uh, but anyway, forgive uh, the as-usual long-winded introduction, and uh, forgive um, the apologetic nature of not having David, um, which is a weird thing to have had happen. Um, but the truth is, is that scheduling has been a bit of a nightmare. Um, everybody had uh, come down at one point or another with essentially the plague. It's this horrible, horrible flu that is really um, um, kind of getting PSA here. But if you haven't gotten a flu shot, please do, because um, it helped out my dad. And I was apparently kind of on death's door there for a little bit. <laughs> I was sick for three weeks and, in a way, have not yet recovered. So, um so yeah, I could not be on the podcast for a while. David was not feeling well for the last week or and a half or so. And then when he was feeling well, he had to work uh, two jobs, as usual, uh, as did myself. So it did not work out that we were able to get together to record these introductions as we might normally do. So I put together this episode myself. Um, but And uh, David put together uh, an episode uh, himself as well with uh, Beer Corner. So um, but yeah, please, please continue to enjoy, listen, and hey, give us some feedback. We have not heard from you guys in a long time on our iTunes page, which, yeah, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on everything. So please leave us a review, let us know what you think. Maybe you like only um, episodes with just me or David or just the other Davids. Uh, David's sparring uh, with each other over art versus entertainment, guys. Um, but anyway, I hope you enjoy. I've talked way too much, which is not unusual, um, but uh, even worse when there's nobody here to check me. So 
Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and hit the space bar, and you're going to listen to some great music from the band Kadoja. Because I figure if you are a Japanese culture fan and you're listening because of the Just Japan podcast, what better time to feature our friends who have a kaiju comic um, that is based on like great 1970s Toho uh, inspired, uh, inspired, uh, kind of beat 'em up style monster action, and uh, they've got a great album to go with it. I've actually got the the vinyl um, displayed very prominently in my house. We met these guys at C2E2 last year, just a bit before uh, we had our Godzilla episode, actually, but a bit too late to get it involved in the show. So I've been waiting for a good excuse to play some music from the, these guys ever since. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to let the uh, don't often record podcasters so there are obviously benefits to that <laughs> well, yeah, gosh, this, I, this is what i do <laughs> no and it's, it's much appreciated as i said i actually had um had quite a listen um this week to your podcast although you probably think it's because of gpod and other things it's actually just because you were one of very few uh japanese cultural podcasts that was on the windows phone store so that i had available to stream directly from my phone and, well, uh, to, be on, to be honest, there's not very many out there. I mean, we'll get into that. I'm sure you want to talk about that. But there's yeah. not a lot out there. There's a void. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a few, but they're all pretty. Um, again, I'll, I'll save it for the podcast. I'll save it for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Which we're actually in. So yeah, I went in ahead and uh, and hit record because. Lord knows it has been uh, long in coming here. You've been very patient, and I think if you were an, uh, an actual Japanese guest, it would have been mortified. You were eight minutes late, sir. Um, we're done. Uh, just done. <laughs> I don't need well, to hear about know, a snowstorm. See, I am, I am a podcaster, and I have recorded podcasts in many a fashion, and I am very familiar with technical difficulties. Uh, <laughs> and the stress that can ensue. We interviewed Jim Butcher, the American author, earlier this year, and... Um, um, he took a solid hour <laughs> to get everything right. And he's just like, yeah. he was at that point, he was just invested and determined. And he was aware that that listeners probably thought indeed he was a wizard because all the characters in his books disrupt any technology around them, mainly cell phones. <laughs> so at least he was in good spirits about it. But I'm really pleased to have on the show um, uh, this week. Um, we have the, uh, as I said, a Jap, uh, somebody who is podcasting from Japan. Um, we have uh, Kevin O'Shea uh, as a guest, uh, the host of the Just Japan podcast. Can you tell folks um, just kind of very directly what is the Just Japan podcast and where can, uh, what is Busan Kevin online? 
Okay, um, so the Just Japan podcast is a weekly podcast that I was, well, so first of all, I, I, I live in Japan, I live in Kobe, Japan, I've been here for about six years. Um, the Just Japan podcast is a weekly podcast where I try to cover as many topics as I possibly can about Japan. Now, um, I'm a fan of podcasts, I'm a fan of especially long-form podcasts, I love listening to them, so yeah, I figured, hey, I want to produce something like this. Um, so I've been on YouTube actually since 2006, um, as Busan Kevin. I used to live in Busan, South Korea, hence the moniker. Um, and a few years later I moved to Japan and just over the years I built quite an extensive network of bloggers, vloggers, online friends, journalists, all of this from doing YouTube. And then I decided, uh, about a year ago I wanted to make a podcast. Mm-hmm, yeah, so so um, I, I just figured, basically in a nutshell, I wanted to do something about all things Japan, because when I did search for podcasts about Japan, they would be very kind of, uh, for example, like teacher-centric, so maybe it was someone who was a, an English language teacher in a public school, and they would make all of their episodes about doing that. Um, I wanted to appeal to a, a larger market, and also for my own education curiosity, so what I decided to do was each week I would bring on a different guest about a different topic. Um, so using Twitter, using my Facebook, my YouTube connections, I kind of started like spreading the word. And basically, um, each week I do a long-form a long form interview. Um, the episodes are anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half where I interview someone about a different aspect of life in Japan. Yeah. I, I'm sure there was much greater diversity than you were talking about. I mean, some of them would teach it in Eikaiwa, some of them would teach in middle school, some of them would teach in elementary school. That's, well, you know, that's tremendous you know, diversity of topics, I'm sure. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are some top, you know, there, there, are some, there are some podcasts. For example, there's one called the Bad Communication Podcast, and those guys have a lot of interest in that quote-unquote like, geek culture, you know, anime, manga, this and that. Um, and theirs is a, like a, a video podcast, but I'm more into the kind of audio podcast. Um, and again, it's the kind of thing, there's, there's a, a big thing in Japan called the JET program. And a lot of, it's arguably one of the best ways to come to Japan to be a teacher. Um, it's, it's, it's a sponsored program by the Japanese government. And a lot of people come over and they do that. And over the years that I've been here, I've, I've heard several podcasts pop up. But it's very centric to what they do specifically. And I listen to a couple of episodes, and then I'm kind of bored. I'm like, well, I don't do that. I'm here, and it doesn't really relate to me. Hmm. And then I unsubscribe. <laughs> so, again, I just wanted something that could cover all the bases. And, well, I mean, all the bases. I guess if I get to episode 10,000, I can, well, then that's just 10,000 bases. Um but yeah, I just I wanted to create something that would appeal to a much broader audience. Uh, the thing that I've really enjoyed is that, um, uh, and forgive my snarky response, <laughs> thank you for your very serious response after my snarky uh, response. Clearly you didn't listen to any kind of epic show, and I don't blame you. <laughs> but, I'm sorry. You know no, no, you don't, no, you're also a Canadian, yes. so you have that running against you. It's like, oh, damn, I have ah, to deal with them. Yeah. That's why I went to Japan. Hey. I don't have to deal with snarky Americans anymore. Why do I share oh, a continent with you people? people here. They're very snarky. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's a much different... That's, like, mean snarky. That's, like, toning it up to, to like, 11 or, 
for it. I, I believe I do tone things up to that than the Brits, but that's a different issue. Um, but no, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to talk more in, in general because it is a very broad-based um, Japanese cultural um, uh, cultural podcast um, that it, it's about contemporary culture, but not necessarily about the things that, that somebody may tune in for initially if um, they're interested in um, perhaps traveling to Japan. It's a lot, oftentimes it's about just practical everyday life and the things that, um, that are just, just presenting in a way that, that a Western may, may not have had the chance to, to experience before because of language barriers. And so, um, I guess, is, is that, is that the main reason why you've had mostly, uh, mostly English speakers on the show, uh, so far, just because, I mean, again, they're, they're able to, to explain those things to, to the listeners, um, who, well, I, I, I think that, you know, it, it's interesting because, I mean, uh, episode, f okay, so episode number 50 actually just dropped uh, two days ago. I and, just um, listened to it, and that, and you had commented on that, like, wait, are these the first Japanese people on Just that was, Japan? That was, that was episode 49. <laughs> episode 49, I did, I did a, uh, it was a, the 20th anniversary of the Kobe earthquake. And then as I did, I realized, oh, my God, like, I've done 49 episodes, and this is the first time I've actually had Japanese people on my podcast. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, definitely a few reasons for that. Uh, first of all, um, I, you know, I've, I've been a YouTuber for a long time. Uh, and my, my, my main handle is Busan Kevin. I've got a secondary channel called Jayland Kev, Japanland Kev is kind of the whole thing, Jayland Kev. And I've, I've been involved in the online community for a long time here in Japan, the JVlog community, this and that. And to be honest, in the initial days of it, there were only foreigners vlogging. And in the initial days of it, YouTube couldn't get Japanese people to video blog. Japanese people didn't want to because of the, the whole kind of privacy thing. They didn't want their faces shown. That's why, for example, they're kind of like, you know, let's put some rabbits in a, in a, in a, in a Kleenex box and they'll pop out and it's really cute. Those kind of videos were all that were on Japanese YouTube for a long time because people didn't want to show their faces. Um, and that's definitely been changing. But it was basically foreigners doing it um, here in Japan, and and because of that, I built uh, a network of people, uh, quite a large, extensive network of, of foreigners who did a lot of very different things here in Japan. So when I decided to start the podcast, I had this kind of wealth of, I mean, at the end of the day, foreign knowledge. But these were foreigners, a lot of them who had been here for a long time, doing very, well, doing varied things. Um, and the concept of a, of a podcast, like, to be honest, for a lot of the, a lot of people I know who are Japanese, they don't even know what the heck it is. I say I, I have a podcast. It's like, what's that? Let alone saying, can I put a microphone in your face and talk to you about something? Do you know that would be quite refreshing because half of our friends in America they're like, oh, your podcast that you're going to want me to listen to, presumably. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in here, when like for example. Um, it was interesting. One of my coworkers, who's American, um, she's uh, she's from Oregon, and she listens to my podcast. And she, um, I guess, for whatever reason, one day a bunch of our Japanese colleagues piled into her car, and she was driving somewhere. And when she started up um, the sound system, uh, like with with her iPod, my podcast started playing. And the Japanese stuff were just really confused, like what what the heck is this we're listening to? Because like, it sounds like a radio show, but is that is that Kevin? And she was like, "Oh, this is Kevin's podcast." And you know, there were three or four of them in the car, 
um, and and she said they all said what's what is a podcast what why how are why are we listening to Kevin what's going on here <laughs> yeah. so um, it is something that's becoming much bigger here. Not Monday podcast this. It's becoming bigger, but it, it's something that's still new. And I mean, to be honest, if you go to the iTunes Japan store and you go to like you know podcast, you click on like um, you know the, the the kind of new the new and talked about scene. Uh, there's a lot of mm, there's a lot of ESL podcasts, a lot of English language podcasts, where there are foreigners who are teaching English in podcast form. Um, there are definitely some kind of like American podcasts, like NPR and stuff like that, that Japanese people use in order to help improve their English listening skills and stuff like that. And it's, it, again, it's, it's something that's growing here. It, it's kind of, I, I mean, uh, I'm, no, I'm no expert on the matter, but it is still something relatively new. The word podcast is not something commonly thrown around in Japan. I, I was very curious, though, um, just uh, just kind of talking before the show. Yeah, I mean, do you interact with any Japanese language bloggers or, or vloggers in general, even outside of, of podcasting? Or is it is it just not just interacting with the, the expat community because of the friends that you've made over, over the years, but um, but you also had worked to create content creator meetups and host them in Kobe, um, where you're from. So uh based in japan so i was just wondering if you could comment on that or i mean just what that culture is is like at present you know i think i think what it comes down to is the fact that i'm i'm not in tokyo okay so if you're there, there are two there are two parts of japan you've got tokyo and then the rest of japan what what kevin i'm gonna have to stop you here there, there's more to japan than just tokyo what? Believe it or not, and I'm on that outside part of Tokyo. No, but that's you know that's kind of the funny thing that that's that's the joke that a lot of us J vloggers make. The ones who don't live in Tokyo, there's Tokyo and then there's Japan. Um, so we'll often say you know there's Tokyo, and it really if you want to really experience Japan, get out of Tokyo, because Tokyo is I mean a very cool place, a very awesome, interesting place, but it's a very different experience once you leave Tokyo. And I don't live in Tokyo. So, to be honest, the majority of J-vloggers and the majority of Japanese vloggers live in Tokyo. They're based in Tokyo. Um, I've met a few in my time down here. Uh, this guy named Sojio Max, uh, who's based out of Osaka, and he, he's a really cool guy. He owns, like, a dance school, and he actually produces idol groups. Um, and now, off the, off the top of my head, I can't tell you who he produces, but he's been producing some, like, small idol groups. And I came across him... Gosh, back in 2008, I think. And how I found him was I was searching for videos about Kobe, where I live, and I found him, and he was speaking in Japanese, and I couldn't speak a word of Japanese, and I still, my Japanese isn't so good. But um, he had English subtitles. And I thought, well, if he's got English subtitles, and this was before YouTube had put any kind of captioning software in, he probably has a level of English. <laughs> so I contacted him, um, and, um, you know, we became... I wouldn't say quite friends, but acquaintances, and he comes to meetups. Um, I had another uh, Japanese video blogger friend who started up the same time I did, and uh, we kind of grew together, and then he became a superstar. Um, he, he started making cooking videos in Japanese. No. Uh, he's runny runny 999. I thought you were going to mention that there was a dog involved in the cooking videos and that I would no, have just I, scraped but, and no, bowed before I, your feet. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. It. Whatever I was going to ask, forget and just continue with this anecdote. I didn't meet the dog, but I met the man. Um, yeah, so cooking with the dog. I met him back in 2010. 
that was back in the day when YouTube Japan were still very friendly to the foreign video bloggers uh, because there weren't many video bloggers, so they were supporting us a lot. And I was invited to Tokyo to a uh, workshop uh, for uh, – that was back when the partnership program was a thing. And the only people who could monetize videos were partners, and you had to be invited to become a partner. So I was luckily invited by YouTube Japan to become a partner in the early days of the partnership program when it first began. Um, you know, ba back at, back in the day uh, of YouTube, guys like Philip DeFranco, SS SXE Phil and stuff, who were making, you know, getting hundreds of thousands of hits, millions of hits, they were doing it and not making money. No one made money. And then at one point, the partnership program came in. We all started making, well, someone like him making a lot of money. Someone like me, coffee money. Um, but uh, I got invited up to a, a workshop at the Google headquarters in Tokyo. And I met, uh, well, I guess at the time, there really weren't very many big. It was Cooking with Dog was really the, the, the only big uh, Japanese personality at the time. And I met him, and he spoke English really well. And it was kind of cool. And yeah. And I'm kind of, I'm not sure exactly where I was going with this originally. I've kind of gone off from side to side. There, <laughs> Believe me, I... this is one of the most on the rails anecdote in the history of a mind podcast. So you're, you're quite yeah, welcome. Yeah, so, so basically, you know, I haven't had many Japanese video or people on. Um, basically, I, I don't know a lot of Japanese video bloggers. Um, and, and I know that a lot of kind of network of vloggers, foreign vloggers who live in Tokyo, they socialize a lot and they all kind of meet and, and the, the, a lot of Japanese video bloggers kind of socialize in Tokyo. But down in this region where I'm at, there's not a lot of people doing it. Or there are, but they come and go very quickly. Actually, um, I'll be honest, so uh, I may have uh, made it seem as though there's there's a Tokyo, there's more to Japan, but, uh, but no... Uh, I actually do want to visit um, Kobe um, in part because of um, the uh, the great Hanshin earthquake um, and the memorials that they, they placed there. One of them is, is really stirring, um, which is the, the Tetsujin 28 uh, statue that they have because it's 18 meters tall and <laughs> just rather fantastic. And Yeah, well, that, that area, is a, that was a good part of the revitalization of that area. I mean, that area was pretty much, uh, I mean, it... it there is it's called a uh, Nagata, um, uh, the Nagata, Nagataku, and that 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 part of the city was completely leveled due to gas fires. Um, so because it was leveled, uh, gas fires, and there, there were like older buildings in that that end of the city, and the older buildings with the the, the big kind of ornate uh, roof tiles, wooden frames, they just all collapse, and um, so mm. basically the city of Kobe. I mean, they essentially rebuilt that whole. Well, the whole city was pretty much rebuilt, um, but that, that that part of the city was was rebuilt, in, and that statue is very cool. I was just and, moved um, by I'm not across some, yeah. some some geek streams here. I'm I'm into geocaching, and if anyone else there is into geocaching, there is a geocache hidden right by the statue. Ah, uh, <laughs> a gigantic, a gigantor. I can't do a gigantor pun. <laughs> cool. It, it is very cool to see. Well, no, I mean, I think part of it was just it was very inspiring to see that the that the community decided to rally around not only a local hero, but the to, to make him kind of a personification of 
um, the revitalization of the city. Uh, there's there's efforts to do that in like Ishinomaki City after after the similar um, the unfortunate earthquake in in two thousand eleven. Um, around yeah. their local kind of hero that they have, uh, which is the common Rider, because he is from uh, the the crater is from was from Ishinomaki City, and oh, had I the man- oh, had yeah. had the manga ka- uh, they have a Mangatan museum uh, there, um, in in so uh, the in Ishinomaki City. Yeah, well, I mean, he wasn't he. The, well, I'm sure, the, the story took yeah, but the writer and and like all of these creations, the most prolific manga ka in Japanese history. And so for, especially for, for children in the area, it's like, that was already their hero. And so he's mm. been a big part in just trying to help heal and just kind of give better mental health to, to especially the young residents of, of that area. And like getting the museum back open, like the, their, their line, it ha- has uh, pictures of like Kamen Rider and stuff on it. And they have a road that is made of all these tokusatsu characters so <laughs> and so that was just a big part of like helping the the city recover just like having having that on their shoulders like oh here's this here's this personification of like our efforts to to kind of rebuild and i think that's such a neat thing about about japanese culture just just very resilient and not i mean the many many other cultures could say the same thing but like that's a lot of very contemporary tragedies and the idea that they are able to recover in a very japanese way with kind of their own kind well, of yeah, cultural institution. that's the thing. The, creating something like that um, will definitely help. Um, you know, uh, domestic tourism in Japan is, is a very big thing, um, more so than in, in many countries. Um, and, and people, Japanese people travel around Japan for very specific things. Um, for example, and I mean, this obviously pales in comparison to something as, as epic and important as is revitalizing the Tohoku region and bringing people to the, the tsunami disaster area. But I mean, there, there, are, there are places in Japan, small communities that are like essentially dying because of the population shift, the aging, the aging population and the, the demographic shift, just people leaving the small communities, right? Um, and there, there have been cases in the last few years, and I'm sure you're familiar with them, where literally there'll be like a train station and they say, we're going to make the station master a cat. And they get a cat, and they make a little jacket for the cat and a little hat. <laughs> yes. And they put the cat on the pillow in the station. And I, I'm not exaggerating. Like, literally tens of thousands of people from throughout Japan will travel to that small town to see that train station with the cat wearing the little uniform. Okay, Americans and will go there too, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> I've really, seen, I've really seen, does, I've seen I mean, the YouTube. Maybe I'm so out of touch from North American culture. Would they do that too in America? Like, no, 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 no. Oh Amer- we wouldn't go to an American town that had a cat, a cat conductor, because a that would mean that that American town had public transit, and that's hard to believe. But then there's, um, <laughs> we would definitely go to a cute Japanese town that has a cat conductor. Like that would be like, well, well, stamp yeah, my yeah, visa I mean, like, immediately. What are we doing talking? It's wonderful that that happened because you do you do read these stories of like actually like actually like the community being revitalized economically because of this. So like wow, where our economy is now booming. It's we like, harness the power wow. of kawaii. <laughs> kawaii, it pays. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, and thank you, thank you for for allowing me to, to make this a bit more more long form and and for being so um so so giving of your time. I mean, essentially, of the questions that I I'd sent beforehand or that we kind of discussed. Um, that really only leads to to the, the the main thrust of of why I think people find um, in the West 
your podcast so useful or why I think readers of, uh, of the UK Anifest blog in particular will find it so useful is because many are considering traveling to Japan and um, essentially just there are many are of like of the, of the idea once I'm there I don't want to leave I, I just I don't want to go back <laughs> what do I do and so I mean it's just these everyday I mean questions of everyday life and, and tips for 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 traveling to Japan or what to see. Hey, what is that town that has the cat the cat conductor? <laughs> things of, things of those of, of that nature. I think they find very useful. And um, I hate to make you have to boil things down here, but like, what would you tell somebody? What is the biggest piece of advice that you would give them as to um, to what they should know before they they come to Japan for the first time? Okay, so we're we're speaking from a travel perspective. Yeah, just from a from at least to start from a travel perspective, or maybe if you could break it down into two questions, it's really like if they're visiting for the first time, as opposed to, um, as opposed to I want to come here and and stay for the first time, an extended period where they're. Yeah. Well, I would I would I would say that if you're going to come here to travel for the first time, um, and and again, I'm not an expert. I'm I'm just a guy who's lived in Japan for six plus years um you know i there's a lot of japan that i haven't seen that i do want to see yet um but what i would kind of just basically suggest is and we've already kind of alluded to this people haven't alluded to it before we've already like joked about it there is more to japan than tokyo um tokyo is amazing see tokyo if, if you if it's your first chance to come to japan and if you have a week or two um I would suggest you want to you want to see the the modern amazing coolness and get that kind of like geekiness awesomeness of Tokyo, but also get a taste of the history of Japan as well, which you're not really gonna get in Tokyo. I mean, you go to places like Meiji Jingu and you're gonna go to like there's some places that have it, but I would suggest Kyoto. I mean, Kyoto is just mind-bogglingly amazing there's so many unesco world heritage sites within kyoto so i i would suggest you know going to tokyo you know for example if you had like a week or a week and a half spend a few days in tokyo and then get on the shinkansen the bullet train and travel down to kyoto and spend a few days in kyoto in a nutshell that's like the most basic advice um, I mean, there's so many amazing things to see all over Japan, but, uh, you know, you got to see Kyoto, you got to see Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, and mm. then, uh, which is why I'm sure that many people applying for the JET program just immediately write down those two cities, and then... <laughs> well, well, the thing is, uh, with the JET program, is that most most cities don't use the JET program. I, I know that... Um, uh, the jet program. Most people are going to be in the, working in the jet program are going to be more rural. Precisely. They're going to be in the more rural areas of Japan. I mean, the thing is that everyone wants to go to J Tokyo. Um, Tokyo is actually uh, no. So, so the jet program is a Japanese. It's run by the Japanese government. The program that's completely funded by the Japanese government, and they're kind of fulfilling a need that isn't there. So, honestly, most foreigners who come to Japan and they think of teaching as an option, they don't want to go to the rural places. They don't want to go to Tokyo because there's the Akihabara, there's the Shibuya, the Shinjuku, the exciting spots. Maybe some want to go to Osaka, you know, um, or the more urban areas. But where, 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 where they need teachers the most are in the villages, are in the small cities, in the small towns. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of most jet postings end up being in the more kind of rural areas. 
So uh, you're not you're not going to be posted in Tokyo. It might be somewhere outside of Tokyo, um, but yeah. Um, which is actually why a lot of the people I met who've spent quite a bit of time in the jet program tend to speak Japanese quite well. Because they end up being out in the boonies. Wait, wait or, a minute. Uh, are, you, are you telling me that people who sign up for a cultural exchange are forced to actually exchange cultures? I don't know if I'm on board. <laughs> well, you know, in that, in that case, yeah. But, I mean, a lot of people who want to come to... I don't know. I mean, a lot of people who come to uh, Tokyo, um, you know... It, I think Tokyo is mm, kind of one of the... Sometimes you can come to a big city like Tokyo and spend all of your time just hanging out with other foreigners and other teachers, for example, and you don't get that kind of true cultural exchange. You know, you hang out with a group of foreigners and you hang, you know, you go to different restaurants and this and that together. But I think I think those people who get to, you know, obviously be dropped in the more rural areas, they truly get the language and cultural experience. It, it is yeah. a really interesting um, program for that. Uh, I think one of the things that I've heard on, on your, your podcast, having uh, been a listener, is just the extent of where that may be uh, a kind of a, a maybe just slightly aware of before, but not to that extent, just how, how large the program was and, and how, for, for how many people who live in um, the countryside where that may be the only foreigner, at least uh, if they're a child that they've ever seen in their lives and that just seemed very fascinating that was an interesting I mean in, in just interesting in that I think that would be such a vastly different experience for for somebody like a Canadian or, or an American or some even somebody in the UK to be like oh you're not from here um uh <laughs> not, yeah, well, I mean, not that, had that happen amazing. before I mean, you're just this amazing cultural ambassador this language ambassador this cultural teacher um, yeah, I, ca- I can't imagine either. I've never had that experience myself at all. Um, but when I've heard of these people who are like, yeah, I was the only foreigner in the, and I taught in five villages, and I had to have a car to drive through the mountains and teach in these schools, and I taught in one elementary school that had four students. Once upon a time, it had 150, but now it's down to four. And then I worked in another school that only has six children, and they're all in one room. Um, like wow, because of a lot of the, the mountain villages, the populations have just completely dwindled. I, I've heard that kind of story from from people who teach in the rural prefectures, and that's that's amazing. I'd love. I mean, personally, I'd love to visit Chubu in the in the Japanese Alps and like in Nagano, and I mean, they have many prefectures that kind of start, or even like uh, Hakone or things like that, which I don't know uh-huh. if that's the Japanese Alps, but like like Biwa and all those awesome places, and it's just like. I, I wonder, I have no Japanese skills, so I realized like, I would get to some place like that and be like, are you sure this is what you wanted to do? Because now you're, you're a very resourceless American and you are also dead. <laughs> because you, you're not able to even converse with folks. And, uh, well, I, think it's, I think it's the, the very sink or swim, kind of from what I've heard, attitude. I mean, not attitude, just kind of nature of the whole business. I mean, I've heard from people who've been in that situation. It's just like, you learn how to speak Japanese or you be alone. You know, it's like, oh wow! You know, you learn how to you learn how to speak Japanese and make local friends, or you just don't have friends. That's like, wow, okay, motivation. So, so <laughs> um, I guess I, you know, I, I live I, I, I live in a big city with a large foreign population, and it's where I live. And Kobe is known as one of the more international cities in Japan, um, and uh, you can actually get by pretty easily here without speaking Japanese. 
believe it or not. Yeah, and that's the thing I, I wanted to, to kind of follow up on is so we can like reverse engineer the origins of your of your time in uh, in Japan mm-hmm. here. Um, but essentially, how much knowledge did you have of Japan for the first time that you visited, as opposed to when you decided to to, to stay? And like, what was your your Japanese proficiency level? Oh um, well, uh, my 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 my. Uh journey to Japan is an interesting one. It's not a typical one. I, I never really had an interest in coming to Japan um, growing up. Uh, I was more kind of infatuated with European places. Actually, more specifically, I'm an O'Shea, and I've never been to Ireland, and I always wanted to go to Ireland, and I kind of always daydreamed of, of heading heading that way. I'm from Eastern Canada, so I was, I was always dreaming of heading, well, I suppose, east, uh, as opposed to the Far East. Um, so, um, yeah, but I ended up I ended up actually uh, in Korea uh, for five years as an English teacher, and I met my wife in Korea. My wife is Japanese; she's from Osaka, and she was working in in Japan or sorry in Korea. Um, I've been to Japan a few times while I lived in Korea. Uh, when you would finish a one year contract at a school in Korea, you would have to renew your visa. In order to renew your visa. You would have to leave the country and renew it at the nearest emb- Korean embassy. So uh, English teachers in Korea would always bounce over to Japan, is usually it, for a day or is a weekend. Is just for Canada, or is that for for South America? For, I mean, for, for anyone, anyone, for anyone. So if you were if you were living in Korea at the time, I, I don't know if it's changed or not. But if you were an American English teacher, a Canadian English teacher, a British English teacher, and uh, you did a one year contract at your school and you decided to change jobs, you would have to. Once you get your visa sponsorship papers, you would have to actually leave Korea and go to another country to a Korean embassy. You had to leave Korean ground, so everyone would always like you know pop over to Osaka or Tokyo or Fukuoka, and uh, you just show up for like the day. You show up in the morning, go to the embassy or the the consulate, drop off your paperwork, come back in the afternoon, pick it up, and then head back that night or stay the night. So I've done that a few times, and uh, I've been to Japan a few times that way. And it was just every time I went, I was like, "Well, man, this is damn cool. <laughs> like it." I've been to Fukuoka a few times. I've been to Osaka, and um, yeah. So I, I can hear my sorry. Oh. There's some kind of strange noise in the background. I can hear my baby <laughs> crying. Oh no! I am so sorry. And uh, you've already given so much of your time. So do let me no, know no, if you need to, to, to take care of that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> hear crying i'm not sure if it's gonna resolve itself or if uh my partner is gonna take care of it but uh but yeah so, but basically i've been to japan a few times um i met my wife eventually my, my final my fifth year in korea and um then I, we we both moved back to canada together and we lived in canada and then after some time in canada we came to uh we came to japan and uh so when i came here actually i had no japanese language ability because i'd lived in korea i studied some korean language but then i went to canada and my wife and I communicate, always communicated in English. Um, that was our language of our relationship. And then uh, she was a very fluent English speaker when I met her. She had lived in Australia for years. Um, so when I came here, I had uh, zero Japanese ability. And then I ended up getting a job in an international company where I was basically working with foreigners. So um, my, my Japanese level has never been very good. Sadly, yeah. On a um, scale of, uh, of, of uh, numbers from Ichi to whatever is not Ichi, <laughs> where would you place your, yourself? 
a scale of one to ten, I'd probably call myself a two or a three. Oh. Um, I did. I did actually uh, take a leave of absence from my company um, about a year and a half ago, and I decided to actually throw myself feet first into the fire, and I got a job working with the Osaka City government, uh, working in Osaka City Public Schools. Uh, the job itself, I didn't care for so much. I did it for a year, but damn, I learned a lot of Japanese <laughs> because I was thrown into public schools and I was teaching English. Uh, it was actually my first time being an English teacher in many years. Um, I hadn't been an English teacher since I left Korea, and uh, I would be thrown into an elementary school, and none of the kids spoke English, and none of the teachers spoke English. So what, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what do you teach um, in, in your, your primary school setting or in your, your international school setting? What, what kind of subjects? Well, I'm a homeroom teacher, so like uh, I teach all subjects. Like at the moment, that's what I do. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a teacher at an international school, so just like in America, if you're a homeroom teacher, like say in an elementary school, you just teach everything in English. Yeah. So that's what I do now. But what I did when I, the year the year I, I jumped over to um, working in Osaka, I was an English teacher. So I would teach. Uh, I taught at a junior high school. Was my kind of base school. Um, I would teach there most days, and then I, I, I was uh, at three different elementary schools on various mornings, and I would teach fifth and sixth grade, very elementary, very basic English lessons for like 50 minutes. I would take like one fifth grade class and kind of, you know, like singing, and not, no, not singing, they didn't want to do that, but more like uh, just like English games and vocabulary. Mm. But, but again, again that year, um, you know, I was I was working. Uh, I was in a situation where no one no one spoke English, so it was pretty impressive. <laughs> but but I learned a lot. My Japanese did get better. And uh, I do still hear the baby. So it's one of those things where I don't yeah, want to keep you too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my wife is, is, is attempting to take care of it. I can hear my wife talking too. Sorry about that. <laughs> you don't have to apologize for, for having been so kind in terms of, of uh, yeah. arranging your schedule. For those who are yeah. listening and we haven't mentioned, um, he is in Japan, guys. So we're doing this on a 14-hour difference in the middle of a snowstorm. Yeah, it's the middle of the night. I've got a, I've got a baby's teething. So, you know... <laughs> It happens. So are you telling me that the life of a podcaster is not a glamorous and uh, and cash-fueled one? Well, it only is during the daytime. <laughs> <laughs> At night, we have regular people. No, uh, well, you know. <laughs> it, it's a fun life being a podcaster, but um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, just uh, just kind of um, some rapid-fire things, some of the, in case we, we, do, we don't have too much time left. Yeah, uh, not a lot left, I think. <laughs> cur- curious to see what, um, I, I'd ask, like, you were interested in, um, or you had actually studied and worked in, in game development and in game design in Canada before mm-hmm. coming to, um, to either Korea or to, um, to Japan. And so you mentioned mm-hmm. there wasn't, like, a real drive. You weren't, uh, like, really interested in, in Japanese culture necessarily, or at least in coming to Japan um, yeah. before you arrived. Was there was there any interest in in Japanese gaming or or game design? Obviously, the big companies like Nintendo, Sony, Square, um, I think just the entire genre of, of JRPGs looks so different than Western RPGs. We have to put a J in front of them. So <laughs> I mean, what I mean, what was your level of interest in in the Japanese gaming community? And um, having having lived uh, and and worked in Japan now, is it something where you could ever see yourself working for a, a Japanese gaming company? 
Okay, so initially, you're, you're, uh, I guess my whole kind of connection with the game industry, it really didn't involve Japan. Um, I, I got into, I got involved in the game industry um, kind of by accident, actually. It was, uh, it was in the, it was in the nineties, and it was during the tech bubble. Uh, the big internet bubble, the initial internet bubble that we all know about in the days when you can make a website about, like, here's a picture of a cat, and you can make a million bucks. Um, you know, uh, so I just graduated my Bachelor of Arts degree and realized I can't get a job with a Bachelor of Arts degree doing anything. Ah, so what do I do? Um, so there were a lot of colleges offering various programs in tech, and I said, I'm going to get involved in this. I'm going to jump on board in this whole internet bubble, this whole tech thing. And um, there was a program at a community college, New Brunswick Community College, Eastern Canada, that had a program in electronic game design. And you could take a different different approaches. You could get uh, you could go into the actual like programming side of it, the graphics side of it, or like the more kind of game design side of it. So I joined the program. Uh, I, got, I got in. Uh, I had to like create a bit of an art portfolio. I like to draw a bit. Um, so I enjoyed cartooning. I wouldn't call myself an artist, but I enjoyed cartooning. Um, so I, I, and I, I took a few art classes and learned a bit of a perspective and this and that. And kind of threw together kind of a not-so-great portfolio, but it was good enough to get me in. Um, and I went into the program, and I, um, I went into the 3D modeling side of it. I had to take some courses in uh, game design. I took some courses in uh, business, actually. Because the program was really kind of designed to set up people to put together a game company. And then we had to form teams. We started, We spent one year learning our skills, uh, divided into kind of sections. I did 3D modeling. And then in year two, we actually had to form a quote-unquote company. So we had to have a group of programmers, a group of modelers, game designers, and some people who were more involved in the business side. And we actually got together, and we, design, we would design a game. And we had to produce a game to graduate. And uh, it, was, it was a really great program. So this was at New Brunswick Community College in Canada. Um, and at that point, I mean, my only gaming experience really, like, I, you know, growing up, like, I had a Sega Master. Not a, before that, I had an Atari 2600. You know, I played lots of Atari games uh, growing up. Uh, I had a Commodore VIC-20 <laughs> back in the early 80s. Even, uh, even Atari is a, is a Japanese word. It's the... Uh the the checkmate in in ego in uh, or in it's also a, it's also a name and i don't know the significance of it but i've met several girls who are named atari um but yeah so uh, so so then uh, so basically i mean i got into the game program you know i enjoyed I, I enjoyed playing nintendo games um i played zelda i remember having my n64 zelda um lots of donkey kong <laughs> um games like that um and it, and and when I was when I was in the game program, actually, I wasn't really into the JRPGs. To be honest, I was more into um, Age of Empires. Age of Empires two, I loved. I had a, I wasted a lot of my life on Age of Empires two, actually. Um, and then I was into the Twitch games, like uh, Unreal Tournament. That was a big thing when I was in game game design. Um, we would all like make uh, Unreal levels design in the Unreal Editor, Unreal Levels, and fight each other, and even in my game development program, we used to have to, as part of some different courses, design Unreal Levels. Um, yeah, so then I got into game design. I was only in it for a short time. I worked for a very small company. 
uh, in Eastern Canada, we made a lot of like 2D scrollers, side scrollers. We'd make a lot of these like um, game bundles that you would find at like Walmart. Like you'd get like the CD, you know, in the, the discount bin for five bucks or 10 bucks, or they'd be like 100 games or 200 games. And, and they weren't geared towards gamers, they were geared towards non gamers. They were geared towards that housewife who just got her first computer or that, you know, business guy who didn't really care about computers much, but if he had a few free minutes, would play a game. Are we talking and, about uh, games like where you blast using most, algebra? Most, the company I worked for sold millions of these copies of these games. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I'm no. sorry, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just being snarky again. I said, no, these aren't games where you use algebra to blast things, is it? Because... Yeah. <laughs> uh, these, are, these are games that were barely games. <laughs> But they made a lot of money. My company made a lot of money off of these things. Um, and then eventually um, we got our first 3D title. Um, and uh, I will embarrassingly admit what it was. But it, it was it was a game, basically, none of my team, my team didn't have a lot of experience. We were given uh, the Lithtech engine. And the Lithtech engine um, was uh, a 3D engine that, I don't know if you're familiar with the game back in the N64 days called Turok. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I love Turok. And I, I built a game using that engine, um, and it, it was it was a tough go for us. But we made a game. It was a complete like crazy taxi ripoff game. It was called uh, Crisis Team Ambulance Driver. And if you Google that, it'll pop up. Um, there was one game review that said it was like the worst game of the year. Um, it was a bad game uh, for many reasons. A lot of it had to do with like the physics and stuff. Like you'd be driving along in a car, and sometimes your car would just like float up into the air and get sucked into a building and disappear and you'd have to restart the game wow but um so so I, I didn't have i didn't have really kind of a, so much a connection with japanese gaming per se um but uh but you know you know that I, title I, I sounds pretty while. japanese ja- what did you say it was uh had crisis driver ambulance racing crisis team ambulance driver that's, if you do a search for that, you'll find it. If you had happy or lucky, that sounds like a very Japanese title. <laughs> no, it, it was a, it was a, you know, a, a little ride. So that was I, I finished up doing that in like two thousand one, out of the game industry, and that's when I became a teacher. Um, and as far as would I go back, to be honest, at this point, no, I, I wouldn't do it. Um, getting involved in the game industry involves a lot of passion uh, honestly to be successful you, you really have to have passion which i don't really have anymore i i'm not even really a gamer anymore i just don't have time with my podcasting my video blogging my job and my family that's what i do to be honest my dad with my downtime I, I i do the podcast um i'm not the kind of person i don't i don't have time to sit down and watch tv or watch movies i'm just always on the go um, maybe that's part of the lifestyle in Japan too. If you live in a city, you're just kind of always on the go. Um, but yeah, so but my for those out there, from what I know of, I know if you are interested in coming to Japan to work in the gaming industry, um, having a lot of passion helps. But also a key is having the language skills, which I don't have. If you're gonna come over here and and, and want to work in a, Jap- a Japanese, uh, you know, video game company, you're gonna have to be able to speak and read and write Japanese very well so um you know i always say to people people who ask me that question over the years on youtube too 
And I would say that if, if, if that's a goal of yours, if you want to come to Japan and get involved in the game industry, you know, if you're a programmer already, um, you know, start studying Japanese. And not just, you know, spoken Japanese, start learning your kanji, learn how to read and write, because that's going to be key, because you're going to have to work in a Japanese team, probably, or with Japanese people. So you're going to have to be able to communicate very effectively. So, um, yeah. Hmm. Advice from someone who's never worked in the Japanese game industry. Well, speaking of, of, of working, we, we've kind of touched on, on the topic of, of working in Japan several times, and it's one of the things that is the most prominent um, through stream of of your podcast, the Just Japan podcast, is um, just interesting people in the expat community, and I'm sure, as you say, it isn't 100% intentional not to, to, pro- <laughs> to, to profile more Japanese people on the show, but just interesting stories of, of working and, and, and working life in Japan. Um, do you have a favorite um, in terms of just episodes or in terms of just the, the people that you, you've profiled or their, or their positions? There's a few that jump out at me. There's there's one guest I've had on twice. Um, his name is Brian Waters, and he's based out of Fukuoka. And he was in, and now I could be wrong with the numbers, maybe episode 13, the first one, and then later on another. But he actually, um, he he was a criminalist with the LA, the L.A. County Coroner's Office. So a criminalist is a term that they use. He was essentially a CSI agent. So he was a crime scene investigator with the L.A. coroner's office for years. Now he teaches forensic pathology at a university in Japan. And his story was amazing. He actually came to Japan as a jet, as an English teacher, worked here for a few years. Then he went back to America, studied. He had a background in science, went back to university, got a master's, and became a criminalist or a CSI agent and worked for the L.A. coroner's office for years. And then he came to Japan, left his job, his wife is Japanese, and came to Japan and uh, teaches that. And I, I just, that was just such a fascinating story. I was just like, wow, that's, I barely get my head around that. That was very cool. And then I interviewed him in a later episode about building a house because him and his family were building a house. So for those out there who are interested in actually building a house in Japan. So, so those are kind of two kind of, examples of how varied the episodes can be um he 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 really stood out in my mind actually he always stands out in my mind as um uh, yeah but I've, I've done episodes about you know being a musician in japan being a writer in japan um and there's so many more that are coming down the pipe so many more interesting ones that i've got lined up and um yeah and, and the great thing is as the podcast is growing and the listenership is growing more people are approaching me and kind of pitching me to be on their pod to be on the show and uh it, that's really um how shall i say um it's humbling and at the same time it, it's, it's just kind of overwhelming too because so many people with really amazing stories are like we want to be on your show i'm like cool thank you <laughs> But yeah, but that, that's the one that really jumps out at me. Brian Waters, he's, he's, he's one. Uh, having a kind of a real-life CSI agent uh, from America come to Japan and teach that here in Japan, that was pretty cool. I would make a, like a corny CSI joke, but having toured like a crime scene lab, they absolutely hate that show. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we talked about that in that episode, and as did he, as does he. 
So we, we had a very rare chance in high school to, to visit the local one, and it actually had a Discovery Channel um, show that was based around it uh, a few years later. And oh, okay. Because they were very good at their at their job, and they're just like, oh, for the love of God, please don't mention that show around us. Don't ever say that show. <laughs> yeah, although uh, all the questions were like, why don't you guys have guns? Why aren't they, like, why aren't why you, like, you all arresting beautiful? people? Why, why can't you just swirl something around in the test tube and know the answers in a moment? None of you have sunglasses. <laughs> At night. Why? Because we're not Corey Hart from Canada. Oh. Yeah. No, I think the, <laughs> the one interesting thing that happened there was, like, we, we did have, the, the stories were, I think, imminently more fascinating than real life was. I never understand why they embellish so much, but they had, like, we we're like, so what's the most interesting, like, compound that you've analyzed? And they're like, we had a chemical compound that burned away someone's clothing, and we have no idea what it is. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. Wait, wait a <laughs> You're what? scientists. Yeah, yeah, you have, have a, answers. you have a device that does take several hours, but it is kind of like the TV device, and it can tell you the chemical makeup of anything in the world. Well, sunglasses with your gun and a nice long leather jacket i mean they do have gas spectrometers so like it literally can tell them anything and they're like we don't know what this is <laughs> okay and we it don't was, have the budget for that machine no no well no they had the gas spectrometer but even it was okay. just like the hell is this thing <laughs> what did you put in here <laughs> so I we just know. gave up <laughs> well they, they um, well they didn't give up but like they couldn't enter it as evidence because they're just like we don't know what this is Good luck. <laughs> don't um, don't make whoever you made angry, because it <laughs> ate away your clothing and gave you a serious chemical burn. And I'm sorry, we don't know what you what happened. <laughs> but just don't do the stuff to make people do that to you. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Is our is our advice. <laughs> our, our advice is the CSI. Stop it. Yeah. Just stop it. <laughs> no, that I was like a, a kindergarten teacher. Time out. <laughs> Actually, did, yeah. I actually did listen to that episode and really enjoyed it. And then you had him on later in the podcast as well for um, just what it was like to build a, a house in Japan as well. In uh, that he was building a house yeah. in, in Fukuoka, and yeah. Um, yeah, really interesting. I guess uh, I'm going to cheat and look into the uh, um, kind of the time machine here and see like what should folks be on the lookout for. You mentioned some people who are approaching you with interesting stories or wanting to be on the podcast. You well, know well, what I your mean, immediate plans are. Future episodes. Um, I'm going to be having an episode uh, with a uh, someone who started a professional photography business here in Japan. Um, that's an expat. Um, I'm going to be uh, so he's someone who, who came here as a teacher and now works as a professional photographer. Um, I'm going to be having some uh, a couple of really high profile YouTubers come on. I won't say who, but let's say there's someone. Who, uh, it's a it's a duo who has several hundred thousand subscribers and they uh i was kind of surprised to find out that they had been a fan of mine and had been watching my youtube channel many years before they came to japan and i was like oh wow cool um uh, i'm going to be uh doing some episodes about you know baseball is a huge obsession in japan so i actually um I'm going to be doing some episodes about baseball in japan with a actual uh, major league baseball scout who based out of Japan, so he's going to be coming on and, and talking about uh, actually traveling around Japan, scouting Japanese players for the, for the major leagues in America. Um, that's, that's a big one coming up. Um, yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of fun things coming down the pipe. Now, this is, yeah. this is the, the one thing where I have to like almost apologize for folks who are like myself. 
and uh, and for all the the I just have to wonder how much email or or kind of traffic you get. It's like, why are you doing anime episode? When is the manga coming? You know what? I, I don't you know, I don't get a lot, and I think oh thank God, I, <laughs> I was I, really worried. I don't get a lot, and there will be episodes of those in the future. It tends to be I don't do a lot of episodes about that because I don't know much about it, and I think it's it's out of my comfort zone. I um. And it's something that I definitely do need to cover because I know that so many people are interested in it. Um, but I, and it, no, don't take any offense to this. I don't read manga and I don't watch anime. Never have. I not offended uh, at all. Is it, the thing is like even though I I am a, a fan, it's one of those things where when people assume that that's all there is to <laughs> it, just it, it makes or that that that's an accurate representation of well, Japanese I, life. I, I think, it makes I th- it very. I think that's part of the thing podcast is I want to show people that there is more to Japan than anime and manga you know because um, so many people think that's the case but I think I want to show people that there's so so many more layers to the onion um, but those are two topics that I have yet to cover but I mean I'm, I'm really hoping to do this podcast for a long time uh, I, I really do love it I have a lot of passion for it I have a lot of fun making it and um, you know recently we've, we've just started to uh, um, the podcast has been featured on the Gaijin Pot website, their blog which is like the biggest job search uh, website out of Japan and that's been bringing a ton of traffic over, um, which is great, <laughs> I'm very happy um, has it I'm very happy to be on this podcast with, 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 with you, because to be honest this is the first time I've been I, I've been approached and interviewed on a podcast that hasn't been done by one of my friends <laughs> I, I will say that the interesting thing about doing uh, overseas or, or getting a, a guest is that they have no cultural context of like of like where Middle America might be. Although you living in, I think it was Ontario. Well, I do, right? I do, I, I, I definitely have a context. I mean, well, I'm only I'm five hours away or so, or at least yeah. as a starting yeah, yeah, point yeah, from yeah, where yeah. you used to live. I mean, I've, I've got, I've got, I've got one of my best, one of my really good friends lives in Chicago. You know, um, I've got friends who live in Columbus, Ohio. I mean, I haven't. Now I've never been to the Midwest. I've only been to like um, I've been the only in the East Coast of, of the states. I've been to Boston. I should lie and say that we have amazing stuff, geographic diversity and many reasons to visit. <laughs> <laughs> well, someday. Um, I mentioned I was lying. <laughs> we don't have amazing and geographic I still diversity. Been to New York City yet. Indiana, New York City, which one? Yeah, I think that's the... Weighing the options, clearly you take... Hoosiers, 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 right? Come to Indiana. Although, if you do need to visit an inspirational sports mecca, there's... I'm just saying. That's the other... We have an inspirational sports movie about boat racing. I don't know why. (laughs) Hey. I'm from Canada. We've got cold. (laughs) No, um... I've had many, many fascinating uh, Canadian guests on. Um, there's, I don't know if you're aware, having not been in uh, the in Canada recently. There's a Canadian comics invasion, even in Nova Scotia. They are they are planning uh, an impending uh, Wolverine, of course, uh, at the uh, at the head of it, who's now dead. Um, but uh, oh, I guess he can't plan the upcoming Canadian comic book invasion. But yeah, yeah, you've just been secretly up there planning uh, to invade with your fictional characters and your, your fun, awesome people that we've had on the well, podcast. Well, I, I love to listen to the Smodcast Network. I'm a huge fan of Kevin Smith. 
and I know he's one of the biggest Canada fans out there. So I think I, I think most updates. He has he has he's, he's calling Kevin it Smith. his Great White North trilogy. I think um, he's got his yeah yeah exactly Moose Jaws, uh, Yoga Hosers, and um, and Tusk yeah Tusk Tusk which I haven't seen yet but I have to. I need to download that. It's on the iTunes Store in Japan now, finally. <laughs> but no, I mean, that was one of your gripes, was the iTunes Store in Japan is awful, apparently. Well, the, the, you, can't, you can't get TV shows. shows. Like, no, no, like, zero, you, you cannot get, the, like, The Walking Dead or this or that. There's nothing. Um, they have movies, and that's about it. <laughs> Gosh, I gotta say thank you so much for your time. We we totally went into the long form fun kind of riff. No problem. That and podcast I hear my baby starting to cry again, so I should hang up and kind of go and see what the heck is up. And yeah, this is the the, <laughs> the, the parental the responsibility. Parental responsibility.